getting you set for the big game in Las Vegas. Here's Schlereth and Evans, presented by Smart Union Local 9 Sheet Metal Workers. Here we go, here we go. Good morning, everybody. Inching ever closer to Super Bowl Sunday in Vegas. That's where we find our pal Mark Schlereth. How you doing, my man? I'm good. I'm good, buddy. How are you? I'm good. So fill us in. Tell us about your wild day and night in Vegas. Don't worry. What what happens in Vegas can be told to us here in Denver. Okay. All right. So you want the you want the dirt, basically. Is what yeah. You're yeah. How'd you, how'd you how'd you do? Did you tear it up? What's? Oh my gosh! It was incredible. Spill the tea. So, okay. So I'm going to spill the tea. Here it goes. Um, my buddy uh, Jerry Medved, one of the Vandals. And, oh uh, yeah, one of your one of your football uh, yeah, one of my Vandals. Okay. He's here in town. He went to the Sphere last night to go watch uh, Bono and the Boys. And uh, my other buddy, uh, my other Vandal buddy, John Place. Uh, also in town, he works for the Seahawks. He's in, you know, sales and managing accounts and all that kind of stuff. So uh, walked over to Paris, and we had a little lunch, and we had uh, a beer. And then I walked back to the hotel, and um, I laid down at 5 and read till 7, and then it was lights out. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hold on. You're Let's in Las get- Vegas. Yeah. In Las Vegas during Super Bowl week, uh, and you were zonked out at seven. Yeah, well, you know, you were I mean, up early yesterday. You were. Yeah, up I was up. I was up early this morning. I was up at two this morning. So, uh, I, yeah, you having trouble o'clock. sleeping, big fella? No, I just was like, I, it's a long walk over here, and you know, and you know me, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta plan my pooping schedule. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I can't, I can't soil myself on the way. Uh, so, it's probably a mile walk, and yeah. then once you get into the Mandalay Bay, oh, it's probably yeah. another half a mile. Yeah, it is to the it's, Radio Row. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So, it's about a mile and a half walk in the morning. So, I got to make sure that I'm perfectly, you know, perfectly symmetrical as I, uh, I roll out of the MGM before I get, or, you know, until I get here, got to make sure that, you know, that uh, I'm going to be okay to make it. And it was raining a little bit this morning. So, you know, it's just as, uh, it's just, yeah, yeah. And I turned down a really nice paid-for dinner from my folks at the Low T Center. So, but they wanted to go, they weren't going to eat at 7. <laughs> too late. Too late. He's tired. He tired. Yeah. He tired. He tired. And, uh, so I was, I was supposed to go to STK with all the folks, you know. Oh, that's a good the, place, yeah. Yeah, meet the owner of Low T Center and the whole nine yards. I was like, hey, listen, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> but Bubba, because Bubba the, big fella, the big fella shut her on down. So I read for a couple hours. I didn't even turn on the TV. I read for a couple hours, and then I just clicked it off and went to bed. Uh, oh, my goodness. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. maybe it's a good thing we aren't roommates then this week because um you know I, I i would i i would not be able to resist i just would oh, not i'd be out i'd be at the tables i'd be playing blackjack yeah. till you know two in the morning i'd you know no i have no desire to do be that. kicking off this show i'd be like Ugh. right you know so i feel, Coffee, I feel good keep it coming you know, yeah i feel good i feel refreshed yeah i feel good i feel refreshed i feel you know it's great to be here with all, all right. you know my six other you know radio buddies sure morning sure shows. sure yeah. Well, trade deadline is coming up today. We're following uh, Adrian Wojnarowski to see any uh, Woj bombs if they they come down. But the Nuggets, uh, at least, well, we'll let we'll let Michael Malone uh, tell you whether or not uh, he believes this team will be doing anything today on trade deadline day. I've talked with Calvin. You know, met with him a few times. Um, you know, but I don't think they feel there's a need to really address something that isn't there. Um, I think all of our players understand this is a business. 
You never know what kind of phone calls you will get. You have to answer that phone. And Calvin's job, that's his uh, you know, number one responsibility. You're always looking at ways to get better. Uh, I don't see them doing anything today. Malone in his press conference yesterday said it a couple of times how we've made the commitment to our young players. We've made the commitment to developing our young players. And you you can you can tell the organization feels A, they've they've got the team to go back and win it again. And B, they do not want to lose sight of developing uh guys for the future. And they do not want to give up uh, any of these prospects, they don't want to give up, uh, give up on a Michael Porter Jr. yet because his would probably be the the contract that you would have to uh, include in a deal to, to to make a deal work. Because the thing about the NBA, folks, that you got to remember is that it's not just say, "Hey, uh, I'll trade you this for that. I'll trade you a draft pick for this established player." You got to make the contracts match up the money. You got to make the money match up, and that's what makes it difficult for the Nuggets. Put it all together, Mark. I don't see them doing anything. Yeah, I don't either. And and I think that was right about Michael Malone to just basically say, hey, listen, man, if the phone rings and something's too good to be true, then you got to look at it. But we're not, you know, ultimately we're not actively seeking to move anybody. And we got a pretty damn good team, and we're pretty happy with where we are right now. And our guys are going to continue to get better. Our young guys have played well. They have played given, you know, when they've had the opportunities, they've really shined. So, yeah, I'm like, I'm okay with that. That is not a, that to me is not a Nuggets cop-out. That, to me, is legit. Like, they're, they're legit where they are, and I feel pretty good about where they are. And you know what? I also I respect a team that wins a championship to the point where they, they earn the right to run it back and mm. give that group a chance to do it again. And if they don't, well, then you start to make changes, right? But yes. in, unless it's painfully obvious that the group that you're running it back with can't get it done— then, yeah, sure, maybe you do something. But, I mean, you look at this team right now. Have you seen anything, anything yet this season uh, that, that gives you pause about their ability to get back to and win the NBA championship? No. N- n- I mean, absolutely nothing. You know, the, barring barring an injury, barring something late, um, you know, God forbid, but barring something late, and the guy that, that scares me that. more than anything That's else my is... Game. Yeah, right, exactly. Um you know, is is uh, is um, Murray. Well, that's the guy because he's had some hamstring. He's had that knee. He's had so he's the one guy that that frightens me a little bit. But yeah, no, there is there is no reason they can't win the West. There's no reason they can't win another NBA championship. Dynasty, dynasty, that's right. Bring it on, bring it on, Coach. Mm-hmm. So the Nuggets in L.A. tonight. Going to be a emotional night as the Lakers are having Kobe Bryant night. Unveiling a statue of Kobe Bryant, uh, so it's going to be an emotional night, and you know the Lakers will bring it. We'll uh, we'll see how the the Nuggets respond. I am very confident they'll rise to the occasion as well. So we'll talk more about that as we uh, move along. But up next, oh, the best oh, of uh, what? Oh, I got I got to tell you. Oh, okay. Well, oh. Uh, we'll wait. We'll wait. Okay. But I had a I had a run in with I almost uh, tinkled down my leg a little bit. I had a run in. With one of the only players that truly whipped my ass, Ooh. like whipped my ass. It's spicy. All right, in we'll, a game. We'll get and, to that. Uh, it was it was great to reacquaint. Okay, um, but yeah, I'll tell you that sometime down the road here. All right, I like it. But uh, Joe Clatt responding to uh, Mark's intrigue in Michigan quarterback JJ McCarthy. You'll hear that next. The power's out at our house. Ah, coffee table. 
but since our family has storm-ready Wi-Fi from Xfinity, we can stream or game in the dark, as I try and fill around for a seat. Ah, here we go. Oh, who moved the couch? Get storm-ready Wi-Fi only from Xfinity, so you can stay connected for up to four hours, even when the power goes out. Restrictions apply. Limited to customers within range of 4G LTE cellular signal. Speeds reduced to 30 slash 7 megabits per second. Actual speeds vary. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash StormReady. Getting you set for the big game in Las Vegas. Here's Slareth and Evans. Presented by Smart Union Local 9 Sheet Metal Workers. All kinds of uh, conversation, interest in what the Broncos might do with the quarterback position this offseason. We always bring you the best of Joel Klatt, our weekly visits with Joel, which sadly was the season finale this week. So this will be the last time you hear from uh, Joel. We'll get him on uh, you know, a couple times around the draft and things like that. Broncos make a big move at quarterback. But uh, for now, it was... Uh, Mark sharing his Telestrator Tuesday findings on J.J. McCarthy, how he was intrigued, like the live arm, uh, the foot action, all that stuff. Joel was asked to comment. So all of the things you just talked about are, are absolutely right. He is he is very skilled and talented. There's a lot of athleticism there. Um, uses his legs in, in a very smart way. There, there were several times when he would, you know, steal two or three first downs a game with his legs, and and he definitely has the athleticism to, to do that. I thought that early in his career, like most young athletic quarterbacks, he used that too often um, and relied on that too much, too heavily. And what I saw as his career developed was a guy that would use that as a last resort. And, and when you use that as a last resort, that tends to, at least in, in my estimation, put more pressure on the defense because they have to defend the concept for a longer amount of time and, and, and really as a primary versus just trying to defend you and him you in. So that's that's number one. And then all of the things that you were talking about, you know, his arm talent jumps off the screen. There's no doubt about it. I thought that he developed as his career went on in the last three years, he got much better in terms of progression reading, understand where to go with the football, and and in, in particular, in just a straight drop-back sense. Now, there's only really one concern for me, and that is is just number of reps. And even though he played a lot of football, because of the style that Michigan was using, and, and the blueprint, I think, is, is a better way to, to say it. The blueprint that they were utilizing to go win football games. He wasn't asked to do what like a Michael Penix was doing or a Caleb Williams was doing or even a Drake May was doing. In terms of the number of times he was asked to just drop back and control the game from the pocket. Now, that's two different things because can he do it? Yes. He does have the skills to do it. Did he do it very often? No. In fact, you know, when I go back, it would be, I don't know, four to six times maybe a game where he would be either in the shotgun or under center and have a straight drop back that was not quick game. Okay, so if it's, if it's not quick game, then that decision is going. So, so quick game, when I say that, that decision is generally made pre-snap. You know, you know where you're going with the ball, and something has to happen pretty drastic post-snap for you to not go to the primary in the quick game. You're developing your your movement key, your your target, based on what the look of the defense is and the ratios of the defense and the leverage of the defense, so on and so forth. So 
post-snap reads are more difficult. Everybody knows this. Michael Pinnock did this a lot at Washington, reading the field all the way down the field. He would do it 15 to 25 times per game, whereas McCarthy would be doing it four to six times per game. So it's two different conversations to say, like, he didn't do it all that often, or I just don't think he can. I think he absolutely can do it. It's just going to take a little bit of time. Now, will that happen quickly at the NFL level? Maybe, depending on who his coach is and who he's developing with, and, and more specifically, you know, what type of offensive line he's playing behind. But he can do it. There's, there's no doubt about it. It's just that we didn't see it all that often at Michigan because of the blueprint that they used to go win the national championship. Busy with Joel Clapp, presented by Audi Flatirons. Joel, as we get into all of this uh, studying of the quarterbacks and, and who might be a good fit uh, for the Broncos, when it comes to these Shrine Games and Senior Bowls and Combines and, and Pro Days, how, when, when you're looking at quarterbacks, when you're evaluating quarterbacks, how much – do these kind of showcases influence you? How do, how do you, what do you look for? What should we all look for when it comes to evaluating these guys? Boy, that's, uh, that's a great question. I think it's hard, <laughs> you know, obviously. Um, well, let me, uh, I'd love to, you know, Mark, uh, jump in on this after if uh, you don't mind, because, and maybe this was just a different era because of the way that the game has has changed. But I can only speak to my experience, okay? So I wasn't in one of those all-star games, but I was in rookie mini camps. And generally speaking, the guys that earn the trust of their teammates and the coaching staff the quickest are the ones that can operate the system the quickest. Can you get in and out of the huddle? Can you take a snap? Do you know where to go with the football? You know, can you operate the concepts? And the guys that can go in there and do that and basically run practice efficiently, everyone's like, we want him in the, in the game. And I can tell you by, through experience, the only reason I was able to get a contract with Detroit and New Orleans wasn't because of my talent. It was because I could operate the system. So I went into rookie minicamp, and I was the only quarterback that could actually take us through a team period. Why? Because I could get in and out of the huddle. And I know that has nothing to do with, like, the way you're throwing, the throws you're making, so on and so forth. But I'm telling you, like, that's a big deal. Once you get to the next, next level and you're trying to practice and you're trying to operate as a team, and the guy that can do that the cleanest generally earns the trust – I, I would say of, of the teammates and the coaches. Um, so those are the guys that I think impress the most. And, and those are not the things that you can actually evaluate as, as a scout on the outside or, or, you know, just watching on TV. Yeah. I think one of the interesting things, Joel is practice is different. Like seven on seven, isn't real. Right. And, and so there are like you evaluate a quarterback in practice, like the, the best evaluator in any practice is one on ones because it's the hardest thing you'll ever do for an offensive and defensive lineman because it's it doesn't really simulate what you get in the game. But as an offensive lineman, if you can block one on ones in a one on one drill, then people will look at you and go that translates because. We'll, we'll, we'll very rarely will you ever be in a position where you got to have a seven-step drop where you're one-on-one with a you know a, a, a beast that's a three technique 
and you know, and, and you got turned each way away from you. You know, that it just doesn't happen very often. You know what's interesting as as you're saying that? You know, yeah. you're saying that one on ones is the hardest thing that you do as an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman, right? Maybe more so an offensive lineman. Offense, yeah. See, I, I would argue that the hardest thing that a quarterback does is live eleven on eleven. Being right. live. Yeah, see, I, that's, I totally that's agree. That's the with hardest that. thing that a quarterback has to do. See, when when a quarterback's in one on ones, there's no timing. Seven on seven is easy. Yeah. You know, and so there are guys that look great in those settings. And this is what I despise about this. People will be like, Did you see that throw he made in seven on seven or one on ones? It's like who right. cares? Right. What oh, that that makes no bearing. That's why a guy like Brock Purdy ends up being the last pick in the draft. But during an NFC championship game, when the defensive tackle wins against the guard and is barreling down on the dude's chin, he stands there like an absolute boss and delivers a beautiful ball across the middle to Debo while he gets absolutely rocked in his teeth. That's hard. Yeah. You know, so that's what's, and this is what's so difficult about a quarterback evaluation. There's no setting in practice or in a combine or in a meeting in a dark room where you can tell if a guy has that in him. Joe Klatt, man, we thank him for great stuff throughout the course of the season presented by Audi Flatirons. And uh, don't worry, Joe, will be back again next season. Look forward to his unique perspective. Up next, we've got the morning brew, Michael Malone, on why he likes his team on the uh, verge of the NBA trade deadline and why all the news is good regarding Nathan McKinnon and the Hart Trophy. That's next. It's time for your morning brew. Grab a cup of joe and get caught up on everything you need to know. Here's Schlereth and Evans. Today is uh, NBA trade deadline day. Michael Malone, do you expect the Nuggets to do anything? I've talked with Calvin, you know, met with him a few times. Um, you know, but I don't think they feel there's a need to really address something that isn't there. Um, I think all of our players understand this is a business. You never know what kind of phone calls you will get. You have to answer that phone. And Calvin's job, that's his uh, you know, number one responsibility. You're always looking at ways to get better. Do you see a need? Do you see a hole, Mark, on this roster? No, I, I mean, I don't. I, I don't. I mean, I think they're, I think they're outstanding. You know, obviously, you've got some young players, as you shorten your bench come playoff time, that are going to have to you know, fill a role and, and bring energy. But, I'm, you know, I, I just sit here and say, you're starting five or as good as any starting five, if not the best starting five in basketball um, when it comes to a team game. And, you know, it, it's so funny just talking to people. I, I talked to a couple people here at the Super Bowl just about the Nuggets in general. And, you know, you and I have had this conversation that the Nuggets and the style with which they play, the unselfishness with which they play, have brought a lot of people back to kind of watching the NBA. And it's, it's interesting to have those conversations because um, I think their style, their style where people aren't necessarily NBA fans, but they become Nugget fans because of the style reminds them of, of what they used to see when they were growing up and things. So I had a couple of those conversations yesterday that I thought were pretty cool. Yeah, I would I be greedy? Would I like to see a, an added score off the bench? You know, we we're talking about a guy like a Jordan Clarkson from Utah. Sure, right. that'd be a great luxury to have. But if you're you're talking about what it would take to get somebody like that in order to make the salaries match, you got to trade one of your starting five, and so you're just 
the the value of what you would gain in let's say a, a Jordan Clarkson just doesn't match or offset what you'd be giving up. So no, I I think you you ride with what you got. You feel good about the other thing too is that your starters playoffs games are stretched out. A time, more timeouts during the course of game. Your starters can easily go 36, 37, 38 minutes if necessary. It's not like you need a lot yeah. from your yeah. bench. Yeah, it's not like hockey where if you play back-to-back nights, your goaltender has to sleep. Wow, wow, wow. Oh, boy. Wow, wow. Okay, well, speaking of that, uh, next on the Morning Brew, uh, don't want to jinx it. You know me. I wouldn't go near jinxing anything. Hello, Jinx. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. But a new poll shows things are going very nicely for Nathan McKinnon's Hart Trophy MVP odds. Uh, Greg Wyszynski, a well-known national hockey writer, uh, took a, a, a poll, polled a wide selection of professional hockey writers association voters anonymously to get a sense of where the wind is blowing for the current leaders in different awards. Uh-huh. And apparently right now McKinnon is receiving 80% of the first place votes for the Hart Trophy. That's up from 42% last month. So yes. he is just putting wow. on the afterburners and he has more than doubled his first place votes to the point where now he has a commanding uh, lead as of right now. Kids got balls, man. Yeah, he does. That I mean, that's all. That's awesome news. Now you just got to keep it up, right? Just got to keep it up. I don't have any concern about that. Do you? I don't know. I don't have any concern. But the only the, right, again, no. I'm not going to jinx it. Yeah, I don't have any. I don't have any concern either. Right? Like that dude is just going to play his ass off because that's what he does. Right. That's so, the standard. The standard yeah. is the standard. Right. The st- and the standard ain't going to change. And as long as he continues. I mean, he's just going to continue to produce. There's just, in my mind, there's no question. Next on the Morning Brew, Nolan Arenado, who I guess for some Rocky fans has become a villain. Not Uh here, not for me, but uh, Nolan Arenado took to uh, Instagram to send out a heartfelt congratulations and thank you to Todd Helton. Here's what he wrote. To my former teammate, Todd, very happy for you. You and your family deserve this. Todd was very influential to me and the first player I ever played with that I was scared to let down. He was intense and tough on me, but I deserved it and needed it, and it made me a better player. To see him work in the cage at his age and always work and want to play is something I'll never forget. Todd, thank you for everything. The greatest Rocky. Woo! Woo! That is, that's Woo! awesome. I got chills. That's good. That's awesome. That is awesome. Good for Nolan. You know what? And I'm with you. Like, if you don't like, you you can't. I just don't think you can be mad at Nolan. I, I just think you have to look at the organization, uh, you know, and, and forget about trusting the organization. You got to look at the organization and the way they did things. And, you know, and, and not that, you know, not that it's been great shakes since he went to St. Louis. But um, that dude, that dude is a Hall of Famer. And I don't I don't blame him at all for for what he did. I don't blame him for wanting to get out. Hall of Famer? Yeah, no one. Next, be a next Hall of Rocky Famer. Hall of Famer. He won't go in with a Rocky cap, but uh, you know yeah. what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's the next Rocky Hall of Famer. Yeah. By the way, guess who is on the ballot this year? Um, guess who's on the ballot? A Rocky. A Rocky. On the ballot? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Gosh. Go ahead. Um, you can guess. Um. Uh, gosh. Um, Think heavy legs. Too low. <laughs> That's right. 
Is he really? That's right. All right. Eh, he won't be there long. <laughs> what are you on the ballot? I think. I think. I think. I think you have to meet a certain requirement to stay on the ballot after like three years or something. You have to reach a certain number. Or you're gone. Mm. So. Yeah. I think we'll see him on the ballot for about uh, three years. Hey, there was a time. Hey, man, when when he was on, when he was on a heater. Woo. Woo. Yeah. But just not consistent enough. Yeah. And and. Yeah, I, I'm with you, but boy, I tell you what, dude was a dude was a really good, I mean, just a really good shortstop. Great range, fun to watch defensively. So anyhow, really good. But had Hall of Fame talent. Hall of, he had Hall of Fame talent. Yeah, he did. Hall of he's uh, in the Hall of very very good. Okay. Yeah, yeah, like a Charlie Blackman. Yeah. Hall of Very Good. And there's certainly nothing wrong with being in the Hall of Very Good. Next on the uh, Morning Brew, Deion Sanders got his man. Ian Rappaport from NFL.com reporting that uh, Bengals secondary coach Robert Livingston will leave to become CU's defensive coordinator. I read that. I don't I don't know Livingston. Well, what I what I have read and, and research is that uh how do you pronounce it? Lou Amarello? Is it Lou Amarello? Lou, um, yeah, now you said that. Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking Anna of Lou. Oh, oh, Lou yeah. Maybe, Anna, I'm thinking of, maybe I'm thinking of Lou Lamarillo, the, <laughs> the Lou, hockey GM. Anna, but, now, yeah, now you got me. Yeah, I know. Lou, it's, it's, uh, yeah, we're in the weeds. He's a good, like, that dude is. Hey, Lou Anarumo? Anarumo. Anarumo. Lou Anarumo. Uh, so here's what Rappaport said. A Lou Anarumo discipline. He's an impressive young coach. So this is definitely. Somebody who was on the rise in the Bengals organization. He was he was he was trending towards being a defensive coordinator somewhere. And maybe this he looks at this as accelerating that that pursuit by uh, by right. doing it for for Dion and the bus. I tell you, that's I, a good I, hire. I think that that feels like a good yeah. hire to me. I love I love. I mean, I met with Lou this year. Um, sat down with him. I love watching the Bengals play. The yeah. Bengals are. Diverse. Um, they play a lot. Like they play a lot of different stuff. They give you a ton of different looks, and um, you know, and they were very dialed together. I was just very impressed with how dialed together they were. Uh, how how very few mental errors they made within a game, and uh, how many different things they played during the course of a game. Very, very, very complex. Very. I uh, just I was really impressed with them. So anyhow. Um, that's cool. Yeah. That, that sounds like a good thing. Yeah, feels like a good hire. That'll do it for the uh, Morning Brew. Bring that to you each and every morning at 6.30. Up next, Troy Rank, our Denver 7 insider, joins us. Maybe shed a little bit more light on this uh, resolution that the NFL Players Association talked about yesterday in regards to the Broncos and Russell Wilson. And yesterday, it was all over social media, the eight-year anniversary of the Broncos' Super Bowl 50 win. What made that team so special to Troy? We'll get his answer next. Getting you set for the big game in Las Vegas. Here's Schlereth and Evans, presented by Smart Union Local 9 Sheet Metal Workers. Troy Rank is our Denver 7 insider. He joins us right now on the Johnson Auto Plaza hotline. So some of the news yesterday, Troy, good morning, by the way, uh, out of Vegas in the Super Bowl was that the NFLPA uh, feels satisfied with the resolution that they had regarding Russ and the Broncos and the the threat of benching if he didn't change the contract language. Uh, What more can you tell us about that? 
Well, basically that he wasn't benched during that time. I mean, it was over. The, the dispute happened after the Chiefs game when the Broncos won, and that's when the situation arose during the bye week following that. Had they believed that the Broncos were benching him specifically because of the contract, I think there would have been further action. I, just when they got the NFLPA involved, uh, that you know kind of showed you know the disappointment from Russell Wilson's side, and there wasn't a benching then. I mean, so I don't know. I haven't talked to the NFLPA uh, yesterday about it, but that's how when it resolved is the fact that he wasn't specifically benched. He didn't. He didn't end up getting benched. So in a sense, it resolved itself. Had he been benched that following game, I think it was at Buffalo then it would have been interesting to see what their action would have been. It still gets really difficult. Um, you know, even though there's contract involved, a coach always has to write to bench a player based on performance. So that's where it gets tricky. But the resolution was he wasn't benched until at the end of the season. Troy, any re- resolution, is there any salvaging of, of the relationship between the Broncos and Russell Wilson? Would there be any chance of him being back here as a quarterback in 2024? Is, is that a foregone conclusion that he's going to be gone? Yeah, I don't see that. I never say never because of the NFL. Weird things happen. It just doesn't see – it just doesn't make any sense. There's nothing that's going to have changed. You know, they left that door ajar, I think, to do it professionally in those last press conferences – based on how it all went down initially. You know, had they had a chance to do it over again, they should have had Sean Payton speak to Russell Wilson directly to say, hey, I'm considering benching you, rather than have it come first from the GM to the agent. That's where things got sideways. But I I just don't see it because of the fit. You know Sean Payton better than I do, Mark. He wants a quarterback that's one, two, three, ball out on time, run all the route tree and see, you know, read the defense at the line of scrimmage and, you know, you have two plays, get into the right play. And he and Sean Payton clashed over that consistently. And the fact that they were terrible on third down, terrible in the red zone, specifically on first and goal, I don't see it. I don't see it. And I just think that uh, they'll move on. And it's, you know, it's the best situation for Russ because he can go somewhere and play for the minimum. I don't see a trade. He has a complete no trade clause. But for Russ, it could benefit him. You don't want to be with another team necessarily, but he could pick his team as a free agent and go play for the minimum. That makes him a lot more attractive. His problem right now, more than anything, two things working against him, his age and his contract. When you remove one of those elements, suddenly he has a much better opportunity with Atlanta or with Pittsburgh or New England. He has a because of the fact he would probably be making veteran minimum. Visiting with a Troy Rank, our Denver 7 insider, you mentioned age. Sean is 60. He has said that he feels the urgency to get back, win another Super Bowl, and get into the, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Based on what you saw covering him this year, does he strike you as having, I guess, the patience to draft and work with a first-round quarterback? I didn't think so early in the year. Uh, but as the year went on, I think he understood the the gravity of what he walked into here. You know, the losing culture. Now you have eight years without the playoffs, seven straight losing seasons. It's not going to be a quick turnaround. If they were in the NFC, I'd say this is going to be, you could get back to being right in the mix uh, in a couple of years. The AFC makes that difficult because most of the best quarterbacks play in the AFC. And now you have Harbaugh with Andy Reid in your own division. It's just, it, the challenge is real. But do I think so? I mean, it feels like he does, but we got to see it. I think the only time he's had a rookie quarterback start when he was a head coach was Ian Book 
And that was during the COVID year uh, or during COVID. I mean, it wasn't because they had developed him. So it'd be a new situation for Peyton. I do believe they have to walk away from this developing a long-term plan at quarterback. So you could bring in Jimmy Garoppolo, Sam Darnold, someone to compete with Jared Stidham. The winner of that battle makes the team. The other one gets cut. But then you have the rookie that you've drafted as the backup. They have to have a longer-term solution because we keep talking about, you know, the bridge guy, the bridge guy. I mean, that bridge now is the golden gate. I mean, at some point, there's got to be someone that you look at and go, okay, this guy's going to be our quarterback for several years. He's young. We love his upside. That's the one thing they really haven't tried because the Paxton Lynch thing never took hold. So I believe he understands that this is not a quick fix, and he has to have the stomach, if you're looking at this realistically, to think about this as a five-year thing total in terms of his – if you were thinking you were going to be in the Super Bowl in year three, I just don't see that right now in the AFC. Now, the NFL allows for quick turnarounds, but with quarterback uncertainty and Patrick Mahomes not going anywhere – the idea of getting to a Super Bowl, you have to be, for me, have a little broader vision. Troy, just in regards to that that plan, then, at the quarterback position, do you see them drafting a quarterback at 12? I know we've talked about this. Do you think they dip into free agency? Like, what is, like, what is the plan? What do you think their plan should be? Or what would your plan be if you were sitting in their situation knowing what you know? Yeah, I don't know how much they like J.J. McCarthy. That's the key. Between J.J. McCarthy and Bo Nix, you might have to take them at 12 to assure you get them. If it's neither one of those guys, you could. for me, I'm not in love with either one of them, but I can understand where you could be, and I'm not in the rooms looking at you know all the film with them. If you want one of those, you might have to take them at 12. I believe in this draft you could trade back from like 12 to 20 or 21 get an offensive lineman, get an edge rusher. Then you pick up a second-round pick, and early in the second round, Knicks could be available or Michael Penix. So now you address multiple needs, and you get a quarterback that's just as good, in my opinion, in Penix. But Penix medical concerns are real. I mean, the guy missed – he ended four seasons hurt. He played six years of college. Four of them ended prematurely with two ACLs and a serious shoulder issue. So – how he checks out at the combine is there. Then there's Michael Pratt from Tulane, who I know Sean Payton would know well from his days with the Saints and that intel he'd have. But I would take one of them. I, I'm not – again, J.J. McCarthy, I do like his upside. I do. He just turned 21. He barely threw 25 times a game in college. You cannot convince me he would be ready to play next year and, in Sean Payton's offense. That would take the following year. And that's fine if you see him as that guy that, hey, set a year – then the following year, you've got your guy. Okay, uh, Bo Nix, again, terrible at Auburn for me. I watched a lot of his games, really good at Oregon. Is he your guy? He checks a lot of boxes. So if it's one of those two, I think you have to take him, Mark, and you probably have to take him at 12. I don't know that either one would be available if you trade back. Okay, Troy, great stuff. Thank you, my man. You got it. See you. Troy Rank, our Denver 7 insider on the Johnson Auto Plaza hotline. Coming up, we've got uh, four down territory for you. Yeah, I'll give you uh, Nathan McKinnon. I'll give you Kale McCarr, but I'll tell you who the numbers say clearly is the third most important avalanche. That's next.